Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that Christ is ours forevermore. And uh, Lord, we just uh, want to surrender our whole attention, our minds, our hearts, afresh to the Son of God who died for us. Lord, speak to each one. May no one leave here without the sense of God's Holy Spirit working upon them and in them and through them because you love them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do take your seats. And if you turn in your Bibles to the passage that we heard uh, read from Romans uh, chapter 12, and we're just looking at those uh, two verses, really, found on page 1139. We've been going through uh, a series, uh, in fact, this is the last in our series, uh, The King Who Gave His All for Us. And this is that final sermon in that uh, short series. So if you've missed out, it is well worth going back uh, over the next uh, f- uh, past few weeks and catching up on that. But this is the final sermon in that series entitled, The King Who Gave for His All for Us. And tonight's is called, Our Right Response to That King Who Gave His All for Us. And I think the starting point <clears throat> that Paul is making here is this. Remember God's mercy towards you. Remember God's mercy towards you. Many years ago, the Christian author and writer Adrian Plass was on a holiday with his family over in France. And he entered a church with his four-year-old daughter. And after a while of admiring the architecture, he lost sight of his daughter and he began to look for her. Eventually, he found her staring at a life-sized marble statue of Mary cradling the dead body of Jesus. Mary is looking into the face of Jesus with an expression of deep pain and loss. His young four-year-old daughter, Katie, stood there for, for a moment absolutely stunned, her eyes scanning the marble figure of Jesus in almost disbelief, Katie turned to her father and she said this, Daddy, why has he got a hole in his side? Stumblingly, I explained that the Roman spear had done that. Katie was horrified. She studied the sculpture more closely. Daddy, he's got holes in his feet. Why has he got holes in his feet? I pointed to a small crucifix on the wall and said, they nailed him to his feet to that piece of wood called a cross. And those are the holes where the nails went. Nailed his feet, she said in shock. She turned and looked at the stone figure again. Her small voice broke as with sadness she said, Daddy, he's got holes in his hands. He's got holes in his hands. They didn't nail his hands too. Sadly, I explained, Jesus endured all of that for our wrongdoing in order to save us. Katie moved close to the sculpture, put her arms around Jesus, 
and lay her head on his knees. And suddenly, Adrian Plass says, I long to go back to the time that I understood Jesus died for me and it really hurt. Friends, we must never forget how costly our salvation was to God. Our sin and the accompanying guilt, which would have otherwise kept us separated from God in hell forever, was laid upon Christ, the Son of God. He sacrificed Himself for us, and He did so willingly. The price to God to forgive us was immense. But in doing so, it turned us from being his enemies to being his friends, from being lost to being found, from being dead to being alive, and granting us this new status as sons and daughters of God who will share in his eternal kingdom. And you know this, for the first 11 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans, to the believers there, Paul has been unpacking all of these deep truths, explaining just how fallen and destitute we were as a human race. But alongside this, he explains the richness and the kindness of God's love and mercy towards us in rescuing us from that destitution. And all because of Christ's great sacrifice for us. Often in Paul's letters, the word therefore acts as a kind of a hinge on a door moving us from one connected thought that he's trying to make on into another one. In this case, in this chapter, it's moving us from the, the head knowledge of doctrines and truths about our faith into, into action and response to those truths. And we see it here in that opening verse, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, what is our rightful response to all that God has done for us in Christ on the cross? Well, it's to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your true and proper act of worship. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God no longer requires dead sacrifices. For the Bible says this, that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And so here, Paul is asking the Roman believers to offer a not, not to, uh, he's not asking the Roman believers to offer a sacrifice for sin. Christ has already done that. But rather, he is asking for the believers to offer up their lives as a response to the mercies of God. 
For the Son of God offered himself as the very last ever sacrifice that needed to die for sin. There is no other required. There is no other that can be given. And this is why God now calls men and women who have been reconciled to God to offer themselves with their time and their talents to be living sacrifices. We are to be walking, talking, living, loving, praying, working, thank offerings to God. As he says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died, Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who gave themselves up for us and was raised again. Someone famously said, the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. Well, Peter Lewis, commenting on that statement, says this, on Sunday, your consecration is renewed. It is fresh and strong. Your sacrifice is placed before God right in the middle of the altar. But by Wednesday, under the pools and the pressures of life in a godless world, it is starting to move towards the edge. And by Friday, it's hanging half over, threatening to fall off completely. That is why we need times of daily prayer and Bible reading to re-centralize the sacrifice, to reaffirm our full surrender to remember whose we are and whom we serve. Once a week is not going to be enough. We need daily consecration, being watchful, being repentant, and reaffirming whose we are. Our bodily existence and our bodies too belong to God, dearly bought at the cross. And we are repeatedly, daily, to offer them up to be holy and pleasing to God. This is a self-act. He doesn't force it. Charles Wesley penned that beautiful hymn of reflection and response, which has served the church well when he wrote, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. You see, he wanted people to reflect on Christ's sacrifice for us. For as we absorb that image of divine love into our spiritual bloodstream, we will count all this world offers as loss by comparison to Christ. As Wesley so eloquently expresses it in the words of that final verse, were the whole realms of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Next, your body is a temple of worship to God. Sadly, most people nowadays think their body is a temple to be worshipped. 
in all sorts of ways. But your body is actually a temple of worship to God. In recent years, there's been a rise in various mobile uh, pop-up shops and businesses like some of these, uh, the mobile uh, clothes boutique, the mobile cafe, the mobile barbers. And I like this one, the, the mobile news agents. I don't know whether that guy's just extremely small or if it's a... But anyway, it's, it can fit in the boot of a car. They can be moved around easily and set up anywhere. Well, if our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit, then in one sense, you are a mobile place of worship. You are a mobile place of worship. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. So everywhere a Christian goes, whether it be at home, at work, at university, on holiday in the Lake District, we're taking our worship with us. Christians are to be offering their bodies as a living sacrifice wherever they go because you are a mobile place of worship. In Paul's teaching in the New Testament, we gather together as a church to worship and be built up in our faith by sound teaching so that when we go into the office or into the school or into the hospital or onto the campus or into our home lives, we are continuing our act of worship as we live and work in righteousness and peace towards God. And so as you enter your working day tomorrow, remind yourself this, I am a mobile place of worship to God. Whatever I do, I want to honor the Lord. Now Paul then moves on to having a renewed commitment in our thinking. Because right living starts with right thinking. Right living starts with right thinking. And so he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Verse 2, it says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A number of years ago, some research was done examining peer pressure amongst teenagers. In one experiment, they showed a class, a series of cards with two lines on them. And the class were asked to put up their hands to which line they thought was shorter. However, what one guy in that class didn't know was this, that all the other students, except for him, had received a letter asking them to put their hands up for the wrong answer. And so the researchers showed the first card. And it was absolutely obvious to this one guy which one was shorter. So he put up his hand for the correct answer. All the others put up their hands for the wrong answer. The one guy thought, well, that's a bit odd. But he was undaunted, so he carried on. The class was shown the next card. He put up his hand for the correct answer. 
everybody else put their hand up for the wrong one. He was a bit more unnerved by this. The next card, and the same thing happened. By the fourth card, the poor guy began to put his hand up along with all the others, even though he knew they were wrong. The experiment went on to show how it's all too easy to conform to how other people are thinking, even if the choices that they are making are wrong. Friends, we live in a society which has increasingly become hostile towards biblical standards, biblical morals, God's view on sex, marriage, gender, the whole host of other things. But part of our spiritual act of worship is to believe God's opinions, His morals, and His definitions as found in Scripture as being right. God's got it right, my friends. God has it right. Now think of the soaps and the sitcoms, the reality TV shows that perhaps are on, uh, that you, you, you see nowadays. You see, more and more they're showing us lifestyles, relationships that go farther and farther away from God's will. It's Romans 1 stuff. But because they're on TV, they're made to look, everything's normal and acceptable. This is the way to live. And more and more people are putting their hands up, just like that student did, and say, this is okay, isn't it? It's all right. There are many counterfeit voices, many counterfeit gods out there telling us to do this or that or take that. This won't harm you. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Test it. Challenge it. God has given us a book containing the thoughts from the only mind in this entire universe that is uncorrupted. His thoughts. We need to listen to it. He shows us the true pattern to live by. And he's given us his spirit to enable us to live and be sensitive to the things that he delights in as well as to the things which he's offended by. You know, we're at great pains as a nation to try and shore up our border patrols in order to scrutinize and weigh up if, if our country is being placed at risk, if we allow a certain person into our country. They could be uh, uh, somebody that's criminal or uh, uh, somebody that's going to be uh, um, blow things up. We assess whether this person will bring damage to our nation or good to our nation. Well, friends, likewise, we must view our minds as a country belonging to the kingdom of heaven. We need to have our border patrol set up to guard that kingdom. We ought to be asking ourselves, what will permitting this thought or this behavior or this influence on my life do to the kingdom of heaven in me? 
if I allow it to enter and take up residence in my life, will it cause me harm? Or the power of good and the power of God? Will I go closer or farther from the Lord? Will it strengthen me or harm me as a Christian? Where will this lead me? Friends, the breakdown of many marriages and the destruction of many Christians' ministries and lives could be averted by such early warning border controls. Philippians 4 verse 8 tells us what to put in our minds. When Paul says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. And then finally, renewing the attitude of your mind. He says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul's desire is that we put these minds of ours to good use whilst here on earth in order to discern the Lord's will for our lives. You know, before I became a Christian, I was watching a, a film late at night. Um, I, was, I was in my 20s, early 20s, and, uh, well, let's just put it this way. The film wasn't particularly wholesome. Okay, I'll leave it to your own imagination. It was uh, particularly rude. And as I say, I, was, I was a Christ, wasn't a Christian at the time. And do you know what? It didn't bother me one minute. I thought my mother had gone to bed. And suddenly she came through the door. Uh, it was about, you know, half past 11 at night. And she said, oh, what's that you're watching? Now, this is in the days of a remote control that you needed to get a, a laser light that sort of connect. And I was f trying to find this uh, remote and managed to grab it. And as quick as it was like, a, it was like the fastest gun in the West to try and change the channel to something that was more wholesome. And back, this shows you how old I am. The only thing, other channel that was on that was half decent at that time, well, the, uh, actually, the, the only thing I could get it onto was the last night of the proms. Now, I played in heavy metal bands. I went out with the rugby club drinking. And so here's me clicking it, and I'm watching. And mum says, what's that you're watching? And I managed to click it over just in time to see some violinist doing something. And I says, oh, I'm just watching uh, um, some music. And my mum says, oh, well, I'll come and join you, and I'll sit down beside you. Oh, I've never been so bored in my life for the last, last two hours. I've actually, in my uh, older age, more mature, I've, I've got a great appreciation for, for violin, so, etc. What changed? Well, the channel changed for one thing. What changed? I changed. Why? Did somebody give me a rule? No. Someone entered the room whom I loved. And I saw everything from her perspective. 
I would have died a thousand deaths watching that same program with my mum sitting on the sofa. Watching some violins, I could, I could put up with that. I didn't feel awkward. The thing that changed was that I took on my mother's viewpoint because I loved her. Friends, that's true of us, at least it ought to be with Jesus. Not rules that change your thinking, but a relationship. A relationship with Jesus. Christ enters your life, and you suddenly become sensitive to his values, his morals, his mindset, his way of looking at people, his way at loving people. You become sensitive to the Son of God because he died for you. And the more that you love him, the more that you will desire to be near him, with him, like him, to take on his values on as your own. When you're holy, entirely, without limitation, God's, God can begin to change and shape and fashion you into the man and the woman that he intended you to be. Ah, but God does not change that which he does not have access to. If you don't give him your life, then he can't begin to change you or use you for his glory. Tell me, have you given your life to Christ? Is there someone here that's yet to bow the knee to Jesus as that little girl did and recognize that it, you died for me and it cost you everything? And I bow before you. I kneel before you and surrender my mess, my sin, my shame, my guilt onto the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Have you given yourself to him? Have you given him your plans and your ambitions and your relationships? If not, then he does not change that which he does not have access to. In order for his kingdom to come, all other kingdoms must go. So tell me, are there areas of your life and mine that remain your kingdom, your private domain? If so, it should not surprise you one bit that you don't change in that area of your life. The Apostle Paul says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, if you want to know what God's will is for the future, start by making sure that you are doing God's will today. Do the very obvious, which might seem very ordinary to you right now, but God will lead you step by step onto where he needs you to be. 
1947, Princess Elizabeth gave a radio broadcast to the Commonwealth on her 21st birthday. In it, she dedicated her life to service with these words. I declare before you all that all my life, that, that, all, my, that all my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. And God help me to make good my vow, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. And with these words, our queen dedicated her life to service because she realized her royal position was a privilege. Friends, we too, in the light of Christ's sacrifice for us, should reflect again on how we might dedicate ourselves afresh to a life of service and commitment to God who has brought us into His royal family let us serve him well and wholeheartedly with dedication for the gospel's sake and to the glory of God. I close with John Wesley's covenant prayer where he says these words, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O oh wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Friends, let's live our lives in fresh surrender to the God who loved us, and gave himself up for us. Let's pray. O Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. May we sense the Lord Jesus by his Spirit moving amongst us, speaking into hearts and lives and might, minds and, and life situations. Oh, you are the great physician. You're the one that is our healer. You're the one who is the person that sets us free from all manner of things. Oh, Lord, is there, is there someone here that has something that they need to just bring before you in repentance and faith? an attitude that is wrong, a relationship that isn't right. Oh, Lord, would you do your work amongst us because you long to change us because you love us. You don't want to beat us. You love us. May no one resist such a kind and generous God. 
May no one resist such a Savior as this. May we offer our lives in fresh and full surrender to you who gave your all to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.